Hi, Shannon. Hey, Greg. Good to see you here. Good to see you too. This is, uh, it's kind of fun to connect to you after we recorded earlier in the week and having re-listened, I've, I've re- gotten the chance to re-listen to the conversation that we'll play. You haven't, but uh, just to kind of like set the stage a little bit, we thought we would give folks, because we decided to start, we started recording just kind of, I just hit record while we were in the middle of a conversation and we just let that conversation yeah. flow. Yeah. Let's give it a little context and shape of what people coming into midstream here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you set the stage a little bit, like where you are so people can picture it a little bit? Yeah. Well, um, I am spending time with family and been here for about 10 days. And that podcast was about day seven, six or seven, mm-hmm. I would say, into that 10-day um, experience. And I'm, I'm sure many can relate when, you know, it's the, the mixed bag of hanging out with family. It's like sweet and good and hard. And, you know, there's history in all the ways that makes things really meaningful. And I also think of what Resma Menachem says, which is if it's hysterical, it's usually historical, you Mm. know? So there are some ways in which the podcast that we did where we talked about control, you know, I had a lot of stuff up um, that was both, you know, that was related to all of that history. So that's what we were. Yeah discussing and I was thinking through and we were talking about control. So just saying how alive that was feeling in my body, being on the receiving mm-hmm. end of what felt like very controlling situations were, punc- were, were punctuating my family experience here. And so it just really led to some, some deep reflection of what was going on. And I'm also not just me personally, but bringing in the lens of racial and social justice work and what it means to be oppressed and marginalized and to be on the receiving end of that. And just the teeniest, tiniest bit. I mean, I have a very privileged identity and positionality, um, but it just took me into some deep places. And so that's what we're sharing coming into the, to the podcast. Yeah. And, and we, what the reason we, we chose that kind of topic there was we wanted to start bringing in some of the some more, I should say, because we have touched on them over the course of the podcast, but some more of the topics that we're going to be exploring together in our uh, in our program this fall, the Disrupting Our Practice Understanding Whiteness program that's starting in the fall. And so control is one of those topics. Um, yep. I think we, that's what I, I refer to that right at the beginning when I say I'm looking at the list of topics here. Uh, you'll hear in just, in just moments uh, after the theme music. So that's what that's what that's about. And um, we wanted to make sure that folks had a little bit of the context. And then just to name up front to kind of do the end of the podcast stuff up front, since we since the conversations already been recorded, that folks knew about the workshops that we have coming up to as a taster for the the program. So August 1st and August 8th, I think they are at four or 4.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. Um we are doing two free workshops to give folks a taste of the, uh, the the larger program, which starts in September. So you can find out more about all of that in the show notes or going to connectionworks.com. And clicking on programs, and you'll see both the descriptions of the workshops and how to register there. And you can read about the longer program and see the list of topics and noodle on whether you'd like to join us. Yeah, so we, w- we would love to have you at 
the workshops. We'd love to have you in the program. And if you have any questions, you can always connect with us at Shannon at ConnectionWorks.com or Greg at GregoryBFlynn.com. Uh, we, we always welcome feedback and questions and comments and all of that. Definitely. Well, I think that gets people set up for our podcast, you think? I think so. That's good. So right. uh, enjoy, enjoy this episode and we will uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Disrupting Our Practice. I'm Shannon Patterson. And I'm Greg Flynn. This podcast is for white-bodied leadership and organization development consultants, facilitators, coaches, and trainers. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exploration of how we practitioners can disrupt our practices, those practices where we are unwittingly perpetuating racism, oppression, and harm. And it's all in service to being able to co-create a culture of equity, justice, and healing, so we live in a world that truly works for everyone. Thanks for joining us as we work to disrupt our practice. Well, I was noticing, I was noticing when I pulled up the program topics yeah. um, that the fifth topic, the fifth topic on the list is control. The ways that control is embedded in our practices from how we design meetings to how we react when we perceive things aren't going well. Yes. So I wondered if we could talk, maybe we talk a little bit about control. Sounds good. I feel like it's all over the place in, in him and in me, you know, can feel that too. So I don't know if you have an opening question or place you want to start in such a big topic. Well, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about your personal, like your current experience, your personal experience that you're in or take it and make it once or twice removed somehow. I think so I'll just say, you know, as Greg and I are having a conversation here and just kind of pierce the veil to our listener of, you know, navigating, navigating family dynamics around race, right? So I'm not in a place where I'm, I'm holding or controlling space, you know, quite the opposite. I'm in a family house that is being very much controlled by, you know, the, the <laughs> owners of the house of my family. So not myself and it's, it's their space. And um, talking about control, you know, and just thinking of where the control sits just in the conversation, you know, it resides with, you know, the patriarch of the family and it's quite clear. And then the second place it resides is, you know, with my, with the second other white male in the space I means so you can just see sort of the, you know, just witnessing how it's all playing out in my own family space and, mm-hmm. you know, how that plays out with who gets listened to, you know, myself and other women at the table and then the mm-hmm. kids. And, you know, we've had some dinner parties here too. And just watching, watching how the space is very much controlled and who gets to speak and mm-hmm. um, what makes a good point, according to people around the table, like, you know, what it's taken to citing people that, give that statement credibility, you know, or citing Mm. really big on the intellectualism piece, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, so that's been very interesting and how hard it is. I don't feel like I can really participate in the conversation. So I just sitting around looking at that and thinking about that less from a family dynamic lens here, I'll finish my thought less from a family dynamic lens, but just from a, 
race and oppression lens, you know, mm. if I can't even get hurt at my own family table, you know, just what it's, what it's like a hundred times magnified all the time everywhere mm-hmm. with way more risk um, and harm. So it's just been, and it's taking a physical toll. So just, you know, feeling, I guess I'm just orienting towards my experience differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, what I'm hearing you say essentially is you're, I mean, you're talking about a family situation and we probably can all relate to some form or another of challenging family dynamics Yeah, and the whatever tensions arise in that. But part of what I'm hearing you speak to is kind of like the energy of being in the non authoritative or non, non, um, what's the word? Like you don't, you don't have the power of the room. Like you're not, you're not the one holding the space. Somebody else's. And even, even that's like, we would think, well, in a family that people hold space and probably in some families, no, and probably some families it's more a shared experience. Yeah. But the dynamics that you've described and you've described to me before we started recording very much sound like a more hierarchical patriarchal dominating approach to, to like a family where it's kind of like, like what we could call, I think what what would typically be called like traditional gender roles, which I actually don't think are traditional. I think actual traditional gender roles, like if you think real tradition, probably going back tens of thousands of years are probably very different than what we are experiencing as like a a blip in the screen, but, but very dominating male figure. So you could, you could say like, it's almost like you're a participant in a workshop being run by somebody who is just going to, yeah, steamroll the, the, their way through. Yeah. Completely unaware. And, and if there's any sense of, I mean, even something as benign as, Hey, I was talking, I'd like to finish my sentence or, Hey, I'd like to hear, you know, the rest of so-and-so's sentence gets, it can't even handle that level of like, I don't know what you call that. <laughs> just feel like feedback. It feels like, you know, conversational dynamics and gets defensive, mm-hmm. you know, right there. So it's just mm-hmm. been, it's just been, um, it's exhausting and yeah. uncomfortable. So what are you learning then in this? I hate to put you into a learning situation because it just sounds brutal. That's all right. I've been, that's where I go anyway. What are you learning then about how control can show up in a, in a room? Like in how maybe things for you to watch out for, like that you would now pay more attention to for yourself. Like when you're facilitating, is there anything that you're like, oh, okay, that there's something in that for me to look at? For Sure. I mean, obviously, I guess, is just, you know, when you know that you you have control of the space, right? So it's like I could say akin to the, the family dynamic patriarch at the head of the table. You know, there's also a consultant at the head of the table, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to have to have the floor to know that that I can cut people off or I can dismiss and I, I know that I have in meetings where someone has mm-hmm. wanted to hear the rest of what someone was saying, or maybe not exactly that way, but I know that there have been ways when I have, you know, otherwise directed conversations that mm-hmm. either for whatever reason, 
you know, and that I could do that. And so wondering about the impact of that, because hmm. um, those small things make a tremendous difference in whether mm -hmm. people are going to speak up or speak up on each other's behalf. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just really feeling a new, a new awareness of the incredible toll that it takes. Um, so like that I'm, if I'm over controlling a room that, that the impact of others sitting there having to experience that and, and tolerate that, like the, the physical and emotional distress. So feeling really connected to that. I'm sure there's more, but those were, and I think just the catch 22 that people can find themselves in. So how do I, you know, how do I notice when I'm doing that, taking up too much space or controlling, controlling what is being contributed or controlling speaking order or all those things that mm -hmm. it just has me think about those things even more Mm -hmm. intently, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Almost like getting as clear about your, the intention behind decisions that you would make to move things forward. And is that intention that you're actually holding something that like how free of your own agenda is it, you know, versus right. truly the agenda of what's happening in the room and what the room needs at the moment. Yeah. And feeling the, well, in that case, I was feeling the tension of like, the way that work gets done and achieving outcomes and, you know, getting evaluated and assessed against, you know, this meeting was productive because we made it through the agenda items and, you know, didn't go down a rabbit hole or what, you know, all those things that can happen. Mm -hmm. I'm also feeling really aware, you know, because, because race and oppression has explicitly come up in conversations like when I'm a consultant and you and I are working with, you know, white leadership and want to disrupt even the tiniest bit, you know, especially when we're not there, we're, you know, we're there to do like, you know, strategic planning work or team building work. And it's not a specific initiative um, around DEI. Then I just, how tongue tied I have found myself against, you know, some of the white folks here, even, you know, and just like feeling the impossibility of, wow, like what, I don't even, I don't even know what the entry point is here, you know, to. That in, the, in, the, in the family dynamic you're talking about. In the family dynamic. But I mean, there are some people here that feel like archetype, archetypal mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, client groups mm -hmm. and, you know, just some of the narrative I can, I hear out in the world around what's the role of white folks and, you know, should it, shouldn't we be listening more to black folks and black folks need to be doing, be here to be present, but you know, the labor, so just like it gets, it gets confusing fast and like it feels in the tensions already high. You can feel the defenses high in the room. And so to, I can just feel the, the tendency to just want to be quiet or I just don't even like know what the first thing to say would be hmm. to just, you know, I, I channel Jenny and Dylan, who we talk a lot about on this podcast. It's like, what question would they ask? Hmm. You know, what question would they ask? Because hmm. I don't even feel like a reflection is possible, but like, what's the question I could ask? What do you think? So since, since people listening don't have the kind of relationship 
what Jenny and Dylan we have. Yeah. When you ask the question, what question would Jenny and Dylan ask? What's behind that? Like what what kind of questionnaire do you think you're looking for? I feel like there's a there's a way in which like Jenny and Dylan receive people where they are. Mm-hmm. And the question has like a very sincere, heartfelt curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has like a lot of compassion and understanding for the person that the, that the question is being directed to. So in this mm-hmm. case, you know, the very challenging people. And it's, it's like, um, it's not a super big question. It's not a question that's leading. It's not a question that is, it's almost like a reflection of what was just said and it's turned into a question, but it, but there's something about it. That's not just the typical, always the paraphrase type of thing. I don't know if you can help me out here in terms of how you would describe the the character of the, of the question. What, what I'm hearing and what you're saying is something along the lines of a question that helps somebody that the res- their response would help them articulate what's actually going on inside of them in a way that they could hear it themselves. Yes. So it's the, when we talk about the act of slowing down, uh, and I think it's often a question that does pick up on a word that someone specifically used, mm-hmm. but it's got kind of a, a, a depth, mm-hmm. you know, and it's usually deceptively simple. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of, one over the last few days, you know, that I not able to put my mind on one in this moment. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think the question's really usually close in by that. I mean, what I just said of like, it draws on a word that somebody said, but it has that care in it. It doesn't become a weaponized question. Mm-hmm. Well, that may have to do with less with the question itself yeah. And more to do with the nervous system of the person asking it. Totally. And that's, you know, I think that's one of the things that's interesting, right? Like we're talking about the dynamic that you're, you're engaged in, you know, with family stuff, you know, in some ways loosely trying to connect that to like, what's it like to be leading a session, you know, a meeting or facilitating or something and, and tracking how am I controlling the space? Like, how, is this a useful use of control or like, is this, is this control in the sense of like, like an agenda that like I'm secretly holding even maybe even secretly for myself, or is this like truly yeah. about the room and what, what's needed in the room, but like also just tracking the way where our nervous system is and what, you know, cause I can, the, the times that I can think of when I've gotten the most, aggressive to use yeah. to use the word like when 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 race comes up and like with somebody who maybe is not seeing it or not actively getting it, denying it actively denying it maybe even like like the seeming seemingly intentionally denying it or like the times that I've gotten the most aggressive are the times when I've been the most dysregulated in the moment where I've, yeah. where like when I, after I asked the question, I'm like, Oh shit, I shouldn't have said a word. I'm like super activated. And yeah. like, I actually didn't want to ask a question. I wanted to just yell at them. Um, right. I could feel that. In my <laughs> right. Body. The energy comes through. Yeah. And it comes through, you know, and I think the, what you're describing is like a, is an energy. And I think this is why it's so, interesting to 
think about how our how practices like meditation and breath work and yoga and you know anything that's right. a a grounding kind of exercise can and probably should be a part of our anti-racism training and practice because our our nervous really? systems are so are so wound up and and I I find myself wondering like 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 I think the you know when I think about control and I think about like the kind of obstinance you've des- you've described um you know at the dinner table yeah i i think of that as like another form of control right it's like when i'm confronted with these ideas that i've spent a lifetime not knowing about and then being right. told that if if i hear if i hear race being directed at me it means i'm bad so right. i'm bad as an individual so like that whole be that reinforcing like so trying to like regain some control of the of the situation and i think the same is probably true with the kind of aggressive forming form of questioning or that like more aggressive because maybe it doesn't come across as aggressive as it might <laughs> come out of me when I'm activated, but more subtly. Right. And how much of that is like trying to assert kind of, some kind of control through proving some through self-righteousness, essentially that's because that's ultimately what it is. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of righteousness that isn't helpful or useful to anybody. Yeah, I think that slide into, I mean, self-righteousness, I can, I can feel it sitting in these conversations, you know, mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a part of me that's like, oh boy, you just so don't get it, which is its own form of, it can take shape in me or can energetically become in me definite self-righteousness. You know, I'm also thinking as you're talking about, you know, the, the overlap between control and our emotional reactivity and as you're saying, getting very dysregulated and then our emotional defense. Right? Mm. And so how those things are so intertwined. And so to be, to be aware when all of that is happening, you know, and as like to tie it back to like being in situations where, you know, maybe there's white leadership around me where there's something going on that like, I feel very strongly needs to be disrupted. And all of that is kind of in my awareness, you know, is like, what is my capacity? How dysregulated am I? What am I? What's like, what is this touching in me? What do I have to prove? Um, You know, all of those things come in Mm -hmm. perfectionism, I better do it right, you know, and just just all of it is immediately there. And I, you know, it takes me back to like the purpose of a question. um, And like, something other than control. Like if not control, then what? Mm-hmm. Right. If not control, then discomfort, not knowing, you know, doing it wrong, uh, being confronted with your own shame, your own unknowing. I mean, so if not control, then what? I've got to sit with that. Mm-hmm. Then hurt, then embarrassment, then. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling some. I think the connecting back to Resma Manicum's get your reps in and mm-hmm. white folks, you know, figuring out how to be in a different culture together. Mm-hmm. Right. So if not control, then what is a very kind of pointed question about, you know, culture shift and how to have that even not be a problem. I think we go right to that being a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no problem to be solved. If not control, then, then here we are, which is not a problem. Mm-hmm. 
we're at the circling back to our some podcast, which we may or may not ever publish, talking about the monstrous, which was a conversation with that included Resma, then it come to the sitting with what is. Well, I think that that question, if not control, then what, um, is one of those like monstrous kinds of questions because it's it brings us right up against the. I mean, and and, and anything within organizations or in most of our culture, the idea of what if you just left it to the, just leave it to the folks to figure it out, you know, <laughs> right. like what if you just, instead of like, let's put together a work group and figure out the policies and the processes. What if you just said, Hey, y'all are grownups who are good at your jobs, figure it out. Yeah. And like, just what happens in your nervous system, <laughs> you know, when you hear that. <laughs> and I think most of the places I've worked, I think that the nervous system of the people in charge contract immediately. Definitely. You know, and they go right into, they'll give you the laundry list of all the ways that that won't work. Right. And, yep. and then immediately go into some form of some process that, you know, exerts control over the, over the situation. I can imagine that's true for parents, you know, saying like, you know, like, Hey, the, my the kids will get to bed when they get to bed. Like they'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even, even in a romantic relationship, I, I, try and control all over the place. And I'm like, you know what? You're going to let them figure it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or even on family vacation, like I don't need to get involved. I just going to trust people can figure that out. And <laughs> yeah. It's harder than, harder than it sounds. So, yeah. you know, anywhere we can practice trusting people to figure it out or not, that's fine too. Truly. Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of arguments people would have. I could make some about how that's not fine, but it, it is. Well, I mean, chances are no one's life is on the line. There's there's like only a handful of situations in which that would be the case, right? Like I don't want, if I'm having open heart surgery, I don't want it to just be like, hey, yeah, we'll figure it out. Sort we'll of figure it out. Surgical I don't want, team will I don't, figure I don't, that out. I don't want the flight crew to be randomly assigned um, or right. to just figure it out. You know, I want the to know that the pilot's not serving me the drinks, you know? Um, yeah. But I don't think that there's, I think that most of us are probably in very different situations, you know, and, and when we're, when we're facilitating, I mean, I, I do think that there's an element of like, like there's an element of where there is a need for control. Like I would say if you're, if you're in a, if we're in a situation where we're facilitating and there's something that ha starts to unfold that is harmful or, you know, in, inappropriate for yeah. a person, um, a especially somebody with a marginalized identity in the room. Like yeah. that's a really good time to exert some control over the space and be like, all right, this is where we stop this, you know? And, yeah. but the thing is, again, I think in order to do that skillfully, we have to have our, a, a, a grounded and settled nervous system, right? We can't just, I mean, we can, but we, you know, it's better to have a grounded and settled nervous system. I think that's why, not, I think, I know that's why, you know, we spend time doing listening sessions um, in so many so many of the work, the, the work that we do and mm -hmm. I do them with you. We haven't done one in a while. Mm -hmm. Kind of doing one now. <laughs> not, not, not by really. the book. Yeah, not definitely really. not okay. by the book. I'm feeling very listened to. Well, I, I'm glad to know that. But I think, you know, I mean, it's also, it's also why, you know, in our programs and I, you know, it's so much of this Resmo writes so much about this, like we always use the body. Right. And, and yeah. incorporate one in the, you know, like in my program for men, I've always used it as an opportunity to teach each week, to teach a different 
grounding technique that you can use so that you have a toolbox to bring into both your day-to-day practice of grounding your body and, you know, grounding your nervous system and settling yourself, but also something that you can bring into the room with you so that when, when things go off the rails or become really challenging, or as, you know, as Resmo would say, it's when the charge of race comes in that you've got a tool to help stay present because that's, you know, that's the the tendency, right. Is to, to flee and to stay present yeah. is different. I think than to double down and exert control over the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think those grounding practices, just really hearing, hearing you invite people to notice, you know, begin to develop some sense of their own, their own what's happening inside of them or where their nervous system is, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it might even sound simple. I mean, I've been practiced, practiced yoga for years and it didn't, it helped prepare me for being present in the kind of ways that we're talking about. But in some ways, in some ways there was just still so much more connecting to my nervous system, so much more connecting to my body and, you know, also learning like the difference between disassociation you know, where I would just completely misread myself mm-hmm. um, and learning where it's like, whoa, I was way wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think another reason why we want to invite people into community of conversations like this, so you can just keep having the conversations and keep noticing what you're feeling and having the conversation and noticing what you're feeling. And, you know, when I started doing this work, it still happens, but a lot less frequently I go blank. Mm. which is a sure sign I'm activated mm-hmm. and I'm confused and it's happening a lot less, like mm-hmm. even in some of the really charged situations over the last few days, you know, it's a lot less blank um, and also a lot less like frantic because that mm. can be like the other thing, but just sort of a, Ooh, there's a lot unfolding right here <laughs> mm-hmm. unfolding right now. So that, so yeah, it's just such a journey, such a practice involves our whole being and community and relationship. Yeah. Thank you for the conversation today, Greg. It's been kind of a reflection. I think that's why I said it felt like a listening session because we're just a really supportive conversation and of what I'm sitting in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I stop recording. I'll be right back into it. (laughs) Let you all know how it goes next week. I hope it, I hope it um, supports you and, being able to stay present um, as much as you need to be. And, and, you know, I'm sure you don't need my permission to uh, become unpresent when it's, when it's, when it's necessary to survive and within the family. Yeah. Just to say like, I'm I'm done now. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Like, (laughs) you know, so. Yeah. Sometimes we dissociate for very good reasons. So. Oh, totally. Thanks for helping me, us all process like, what shows up and control and how we might notice our relationship with control and our body. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for, for your sharing. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. Hope it's helpful. 